Well, you can say hi if you want to. Hi, this is Howdy. Howdy. Hello. Hi, this is Greg Lamont. Welcome to the Velocast. Nice, really nice, yeah. Today we look ahead to the 74th edition of the Vuelta a España. Once seen as a kind of three-week Spanish road championships held in the spring, the Vuelta has now become the final Grand Tour of the cycling season and has an international reputation of being as bat-poop crazy as a sleepover at Charlie Sheen's house. Later we'll be discussing who among the favourites are likely to receive the big plate in Madrid. But first, let's look at where along the 3,272.2 two kilometres of route where the race may be won or lost. Do you know the Vuelta, as you said in the introduction there, is is batshit crazy. And we've often seen just ridiculous climbs. You know, strips of corrugated concrete up the middle of nowhere to some observatory that nobody's ever been to. Um, And there's a good deal of that this year. But the surprise for me when I went through in the preview, you know, getting the notes ready for recording, is there's actually probably more chances for sprinters than we saw maybe even in the Tour de France. You know, there's five or six stages where the fast men will get a bit. So it's actually quite a balanced welter, although the claims are still nuts. Do you know, uh, you say balance... I agree well, with you. Well, standards. Standards. I mean, I'm not talking normally. <laughs> Fair point well made. <laughs> when when you say balance, I agree with you that there is a balance between flat stages and mountain stages. Uh, and also we have one less summit finish than, than we had last year. There's eight summit mm. finishes this year as opposed to the nine we had before. But what I took away with uh, from just overall looking at the route is that there's no rhythm to it. Mm. Traditionally, we expect, say, of of the the Tour de France, although even that has been thrown to to the dogs of of late, is that that traditional first week for the sprinters um, comes and then we get into the meat and potatoes of of the rest of, of the race. And I guess that that was something more associated with the, the Vuelta than anything else, given that there's always the World Championships coming up and if it's a route that in any way favours the sprinters, there's always those guys looking to hone their form before the World Championships. So they go to the Vuelta, do the, the stages that they think is going to suit them and then disappear as quickly as possible. But mm-hmm. sprinters won't be given that opportunity this year because there's flat stages early on and then there's flat stages in the middle week and then there's more flat stages in the third week, which is something that I can't remember seeing too much of in the Vuelta in recent years. Yeah, I mean, it's the Vuelta has been one of the more disjointed uh, Grand Tours for ages. I mean, it was the first one to really throw away the entire concept of having some kind of continuous trip around the country. You know, we've talked before about those long transitional stages that you'd get where the only spectator was the big, you know, bull billboard on the on the hillside and maybe a man with a donkey or something. You know, they are actually not afraid of transitions. And this year, I think the sprinters will be happy to stay to the end because when you look at the roads course in, uh, in Yorkshire, they're not really in with a shout there anyway, are they? No, definitely not. Um, so two the the key stages that we think are, are going to make the race. We kick off, of course, tomorrow with a 13.4 team time trial in the south of Spain. And it's really as flat as a, a spice girl when the autotune goes in the blink. Yeah, and there's no technicality to it at all. You know, wide boulevards. Um, 
huge numbers of English folk watching it because it's it's part of that expat community, um, and it'll just be a straight power shootout. You know, and you have to be looking at Jumbo Visma. If you look at the squad they've brought, there are other squads which have real strength and depth, uh, but Jumbo Visma have a fantastic combination of people who are capable of a time trial as well as capable of climbing well. So I expect to see them, you know, really hammer it home and take the first red jersey away. Um, I, I'd love a time trial. You love a team time trial by time trial standards. I don't think it's going to be the most exciting thing to watch. Uh, because there is really no complication at all. The only way they could have made it any simpler is if they'd you know, chosen a straight bit of road with no corners at all. But yeah, it still has that entry, given the amount of summit finishes that we have, and it is going to be a battle between, overall, the 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 guys who are more into summit finishes than they are time trials. So it, it does put the entire race on a knife edge as to really how much certain riders can gain in this time, team time trial with the further time trial down the road, of course, versus how much the climbers are going to lose, either by the fact that they're not that good time trialists themselves or indeed they're hampered by the fact that as a team, they're not particularly well versed in the discipline. Yeah, and you're also going to get some excitement because teams like Yumbo Wisma are likely to put one of their lesser riders through the line first, you know, so that they can take the jersey and, you know, have the responsibility of defending it for a wee while. But it's not on the shoulders of someone like Primoz Roglic, for example, um, because, you know, you don't want the jersey this this early if you're really a big contender. I could be wrong about that, but it wouldn't surprise me to see one of the domestiques uh, get the reward of the jersey tomorrow. So moving beyond the team time trial, I mean, we've we've got hills from, from the word go, stage two, stage three. We've got a flat stage into um, El Puig on stage four, but I mean, even that has, has hills associated with it. But really, in terms of the GC, the first big test is going to be our first summit finish as early as stage five. Yeah, as you say, there are places before that where you could conceivably, you know, be paying a moment's inattention and, and lose some time, be detached and a GC guy could lose 10-15 seconds. But the first big showdown is stage 5. Finishes in a first cat, nearly 2,000 metre climb um, and even this early in the race, the GC guys are going to have to be ready. I mean, you said there's no rhythm to it. One thing that really strikes me about this Vuelta is it's not a race where you can go and aim you know, aiming to peak for the third week. You have to be on it from the very start or you could lose so much time that it's pointless being inform in the third week. Yeah, and given that this is the end of this, or heading towards the end of the season, that's a fine, fine balance to to be trying to to calculate across three weeks. Fatigue is, is stepping in at this stage because of hard racing. And I, I think you know, bear that point in mind because it, it may actually be a determining factor in who's going to come to Madrid the best. Yeah, I mean, one of my big favourites is Primoz Roglic. We saw how wasted he was at the end of the Giro. Now, he's had a lot of time to recover from that, but that's an indication of just how somebody can look to be in absolutely steaming form at the start of a race. And if they just mistime it slightly, suddenly, you know, the, the entire thing's a bogey. Mm. So moving on then to, to the next key stage. Uh, I've got stage nine here, but I, I just want to check with you that you don't have anything in, in between stage five and stage nine. Uh, I've got stage seven. Okay. Uh, and actually stage six. <laughs> There's Stage six is hilly. It's not a particularly difficult finish to this stage. But, you know, after five, there's going to be some tired legs. We're talking about that. Um, stage seven 
is a 4.1 kilometre climb to finish, but it's you know it's north of 10%, it's 12.3%. So again, not one of the massive ones, but one of those ones where you have to pay attention and you're going to have to let your legs do the talking. But stage nine is, is just evil. Um, two massive, massive climbs, uh, and then you know the last, what, 15, 16 miles is uphill. That's going to be a testing day after the hard days that have preceded it. Yeah, a very short stage, stage nine, but what it lacks in distance, it really more than makes up for both in climbing, as you say, but also for the potential for, for GC battles. Um, it's the first especial climb of the race as well, the Col de la Galina, 12.2 kilometres at 8.3% average. Um and after that, we've got two second catch Actually, lines. just take a moment. I, I, I'd forgotten to put in my notes the distance of that thing. 95.5 kilometres. Yes, I mean... It, That's going to be absolutely insane. And and, and we, they start climbing straight from the the gun in Andorra, La, La Vela. Uh, and it's a Cat 1 ascent straight away. Uh, the, the Col de Ordinio, 8.9 kilometres at 5%, which then leads to, to the aforementioned Especial climb. And the rest of the stage is, I mean, it's a descent off that especially I'll climb. Um, but then we've got two second cat climbs, which lead to the finale itself of the, the Cortal de Encamp. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially a stepping stone climb. Uh, there's three categorised climbs, two seconds and a first, as you say. But essentially, it's just one big climb with a wee bit of ascent, or descent rather, and a bit flat. So it's a testing, testing day. And that short one, it's it's become a cliche now. There'll be people in turbo trainers warming up before the start. Both the guys who want to get in the breakaway, but also the GC guys who you know won't want to get caught out early in the stage. Because with only less than 100 kilometres to go, everything could go wrong really, really fast. So we then head to a rest day and when they come back, they're straight into another crucial stage, stage 10, um, which is Jurasson to Tupo, the 36.2 kilometre individual time trial. And the first question that, that leaps to mind here is, does the mayor of Po have compromising photos of Christian Prudhomme and he's safe or something? Stage 13 of the tour was a TT in Po and now stage 10 of the Vuelta is a TT which finishes in Po. And let's hope it provides us with as much entertainment as the tour one did. You know, remember one of my highlights of the tour was Julian Alaphilippe storming up that final climb in that time trial. Now it's not the same course, but it's the same kind of terrain. Um, if anything, slightly harder. It's difficult to pace. Um, I'm talking to, to Steve McCall before uh, we get a chance to watch stage 10, and I'm going to go through and analyse the possibilities of the, the stage then, because it suits a variety of different riders, but they'll need to get it right on the day. It's not hilly enough to absolutely distance the time trial powerhouses. You know, if they get it right, they could do really, really well. But it's hilly enough that if a climber gets it right, he could lose a bit less time than he expects to somebody, you know, who would take minutes out of him in a flat time trial. So it's a really interesting time trial. And just to suit you, it's in France, you know, to the Spain. It's not in Spain. <laughs> I don't mind these jaunts into other countries as we go along. It's the, the foreign starts that really get me. But anyway, moving on to, to the next key stage, what, what have you got in your notes? Uh, I've got stage 13. Um, 
horrible, horrible roads. I mean, the Basque roads are difficult. Even sections that look relatively easy can t- really take out the riders. If it's hot, you know, the, st- the, the tar gets sticky, uh, the surfaces are variable, there's difficult cambers to judge on descents. And there are no really massive climbs on this until the finale. It's an especial finale, so that's going to be really, really hard. Finishes uh, at 872 metres with nearly 7 kilometres at uh, nearly 9%. But before that, there's just a constant up and down all day. Um, you know, So it's going to be a wearing down process. Depending on the weather, there's going to be a lot of guys who are really tired. You're deep, deep into the race at this point. You know, you're nearly two thirds of the way through. The finish is evil, but it's just the cumulative effect of all those smaller climbs that they have to tackle during the day. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a hard one, and it's, you know, it, it's late enough in the race that things start to get unpredictable. I mean, you say it, it's a very, very difficult day. You just need to look at the profile to to get a sense of that. It's it's like an alligator's jawbone. A horrible, horrible day, and. I think you've slipped over the uh, or glossed over the the two most important parts of it. You you talked about that special climb at the finish, but missed the the key fact that there are two sections, one at the start and one I think inside the last two kilometres, both at twenty five percent, which yeah. just doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, twenty five percent sections and a, a nearly ten percent climb. It tells you that some of that's going to feel a bit easier uh, because that you know that twenty five percent certainly bumps up the the average, but. There's no way of getting round one in four. You know, we're going to see stupid low gears, people in 36 or 34, 32 that day, and people racing at walking pace. Yeah, and that, that first 25% section comes right at the start of, of the climb, so there's no way you can ease yourself into it. It's just a wall that faces you as, as soon as you hit it. Uh, what's your, your next key stage then? Um, after 13, um, I've got 15. Again, um Really tough finish, nearly 10%, nearly eight kilometres and four climbs that day. Um, So they just keep, you know, there's no big gaps between these. There are none of the massive blocks that we're used to seeing in the Vuelta. And in fact, we've seen in the tour, we talked about when when we did our tour preview earlier in this year. You know, there are gaps between the really difficult days, but there's no period that's long enough really to be a rest. You know, if you look at what we've talked about, five, six, seven, nine... 13, 15, and then I've got 16. You know, so there's there's really no time to recover be, you know, between these stages. The cumulative fatigue is going to be absolutely hellish. Yeah, and, and stage 16 actually brings us to the, the, the second and, and final rest day. Um, and I, I think you're right, those two stages before that final rest day, 15 and 16, could see some people really lose time if they're they're not careful uh, because as I I mentioned earlier on the fatigue factor not only in terms of the Vuelta in and of itself but of course the fatigue factor that this is the final Grand Tour of the season and it's been a hard season for a lot of these guys I mean we we talk a a lot about the pressure that everyone's routinely under because of the Tour because it's just it's the Tour it's the biggest race and and the the cycling calendar and, and the massive amounts of pressure that come with it but added to that it was hardly a procession this year was it it was a hellish race um, no, it's been it's been a hard season. I mean, we talked about Primoz Roglic being exhausted at the Giro. He's not alone. You know, a lot 
of these guys, I mean, we talked about Jumbo Visma at the start, strength and depth, but a lot of these guys have already had some hard racing days this year. Um, and again, a lot of it's dependent on the weather. You know, if you get back to back 40 degree days in these big mountains, it's going to be nasty. Well, the next stage for me is uh, stage 18 because it, it features uh, four category one ascents on, on a route that from the air looks like someone spilled a pot of spaghetti all over the, the, the floor. Uh, we've got several loops con- uh, condensed into an area just north of, of Madrid. Yeah, I mean, we're now circling around where the finish is. You know, the, the finish in Madrid is now traditional. Um, there's a lot of concentration of stages around there and I've got no idea what's going to happen at this point you know I would love to be intelligent and give you a prediction about where we're going to stand Uh, I've got some ideas who's going to be in red but in days like today the great thing is you know I love a time trial and I've long advocated that there should be a time trial to finish every Grand Tour uh, just because it gives you some excitement at the end as opposed to the promenade that you know we will have in Madrid in which I, I really don't enjoy very much even though it's a bit of a celebration for the riders. But with the time trial earlier, you know, it's quite early the individual time trial in this. There'll be nowhere to hide in this racing. You know, there's no subtlety in terms of saving yourself for a time trial at the end or for the time trialist having that in the bag. You know, we'll know where everybody stands. So it will just be absolute balls to the wall racing. It's going to be fantastic at that point. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm excited about the start of the race because there's a lot front loaded in terms of excitement. But that final week is just going to be fantastic. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, if, if you get any plans at all to, to be in Spain, I would say this stage 18 would be the one to go and watch given the, the kind of spaghetti-like route that they're, they're taking. I mean, a lot of the, the climbs are, are tackled twice. The uh, yeah. Morquera for example, uh, they go up the the easier northern side first, and and then I think they come down to to the village essentially turn around and go back up the same roads that they've just descended. So you're going to see a, a lot of racing in a very sm- a short uh, geographical space. So that that's going to be one for the spectators on the ground. Never mind us watching at home. Take a minute to think about that as well. They're deep into the race. Their legs are absolutely knackered. They're descending down the harder side of the climb all the time, knowing that shortly they're going to have to go back up. I mean, that's just cruel and unusual punishment. I'm hoping the the logistics of this have been properly thought through because you really don't want to be riding back up the climbing, meeting the Gruppetto <laughs> on, on its descent of it, because there could be chaos there. Yeah, I think I think there's enough time at the bottom, but uh, yeah, that would be it. Would be quite funny. I, I mean, well, it would be quite dangerous, of course. So we don't condone that at all. But um, it has the the potential for some some farce. But I think I think they've probably got it right. Mm. Now, the only other test for the GC guys before they get to Madrid is the day before stage twenty. But I'm kind of feeling that by that point it may actually be done and dusted. It stays 20 while featuring five claims, including two first cat ones, might not be difficult enough to to actually put any significant gaps back into the, the top 10. I'd agree with that, were it not for the fatigue factor that we've been banging on about you know, since the start of this preview. It looks to me like the kind of stage where any decent GC guy worth his salt should at the very worst be able to contain the, the people around him. But 
there are going to be some properly tired legs. I suspect by this point we'll have seen maybe one or two people rise to the top and we'll have a clear indication of at least who's going to be in the podium. Uh, but the fatigue, I, I can't get past this. You know, it's the end of a long, difficult season. Um, so it's it gives a really unpredictable finale as we get deeper and deeper into the race. I think we'll probably see at least one Colombian uh, in contention for the for the overall victory and and maybe a European and they might have to fight it out on this day but I, th- I also think it's entirely possible we get a promenade with a breakaway allowed to go because it's already settled. Well moving on to those who are expected to challenge for the win this year and I guess firstly the big news ahead of the race is that Richard Carapaz will not take to the start line the Ecuadorian rider was due to be co-leader of that Spanish triumvirate alongside uh, Nairo Quintana and Alejandro Valverde, uh, which has, of course, as far as I'm concerned, be, uh, proven to be as useful as an ejector seat in a helicopter. Yeah, um, two Colombians and a Spaniard, it was going to be that, that triple threat. Um, I suspect Carapaz might actually have been capable of uh, overcoming that to take the victory. Um, but, you know, those pesky Freemasons have been at it again with a GC contender out before the race starts. Well, see, the, there are rumours abound that the decision to take him out of the Vuelta because he he suffered um, a contusion on, on his right shoulder, which to you and I, of course, is, is a bruise, um, yeah. while riding a, a criterium in the Netherlands on Sunday. So it's the rumours are that... This is more to do with relations souring between Carapaz and Movistar, with the Ecuadorian, of course, expected to move to Enios next season. And the fact that Movistar were not happy about him riding this criterium in the first place, and given that, that he's crashed, has maybe given Carapaz an out not to ride for, for Movistar. But I, I don't know if I'm placing that much stock in, in this, uh, because you would still, regardless of, of going to another team next season, the opportunity to, to win another Grand Tour would be surely too much to, to put too much stock in, into this relations being so bad that you would just choose not to ride. It seems a bit weird, uh, and I apologise to the people of Ecuador for lumping them in as a Colombian. Um, It seems to me that you would take the opportunity, if you had any kind of form, uh, to go and try and win your second Grand Tour of the Year, uh, because he's proven himself a winner. That Giro win was by no means even slightly fluky. You know, it was a strong, strong performance from Carapaz. He apparently rode the trip without, essentially without the team knowing it was set up by his agent. So the team are extremely unhappy about it. Uh, but I, mean, I, do you I think can then, really see... Do you think then that rather than Carapaz saying, oh, I'm not going to ride the Vuelta and, and I've got the excuse of, of a, a slightly bruised shoulder to uh, as, as my get out, that, that possibly knowing that Carapaz is off to Ineos next season, they've said... Well, actually, if you're going to go and ride races without our, our knowledge ahead of a very important Grand Tour, we're going to throw our toys out the pram and not select you for it. See, you would think that if if Movie started showing any kind of strategy or ability to choose before. <laughs> 
But, you know, all they do is just ram every GC guy they've got in every single race they ride. So, no, I can't see that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, you know, they're trying to find somebody that they could uh, they could put in who's a, a, another potential GC guy just to confuse things even further. What, Jose Joaquim Rojas, who's been called up to take Carapaz's place? Uh, no offence to him. That's a rave from the grave, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, no offence to Rojas, but he's he's not exactly a GC material, is he? No. Carapaz, I, I can't see any, I mean, I can't see any kind of conspiracy thing working. If, if the team were genuinely going for the win, they would take him because he's shown himself to be in great form this year. And Carapaz, why would you turn down the chance to go and have another shot at a Grand Tour? I mean, I, I just think he crashed. And although a contusion is just a bruise, if it stops you sitting in the bike, it stops you sitting in the bike, mate. Yeah, uh, which brings us neatly to who will, we presume, be the sole focus for Movistar this year, Nairo Quintana. The, the irony... Uh, for Quintana, who's, of course, leaving to ensure sole leadership status, uh, is that with Carapaz out and Valverde saying, bunny ears gesture, saying he's only going for stage wins, Quintana will largely have uh, Movistar to to himself. Um, is there going to be a final flourish for Quintana before he moves to Arkea Samzik next year? I think he's looked better than I expected him to look so far this year. Um, so it's possible. You know, the, the terrain suits him. Uh, it, he's shown a bit more aggression than he has in previous years. For a long time, I, I think I was unkind enough to say he looked like he was just riding for the money. Um, but he's shown a bit of the old fire. So, yeah, I think he can perform well for movie start. And I actually believe Valverde, because in my opinion, Valverde is going to this race essentially to train for the World Championships. You know, I think he... he the, Root in Yorkshire will really suit him. Um, so I can see him going to, to snipe stages. The problem for Nairo Quintana is, whereas before, the only way you could beat Nairo in the climbs was if he underperformed, this race has got umpteen people who can take it to the Colombian in the climbs and potentially give him a kick in. So I don't think he's in any way on my kind of top step of possibilities for the winner. He's going to be there because he's, you know, he's a great rider, but he's going to have to be absolutely exceptional to win this race. And I just, I can't really see it. Well, I think the other problem that the Nairo has coming into this race is, of course, those two time trials, the team time trial, where Movistar, you won't expect to be putting any time into no. Jumbo Visma. And of course, the individual time trial, where he's not going to take any time from guys like Primoz Roglic. So he really has to make it up on on the climbs and and Roglic, you know, I've got some some questions regarding how well he'll do with this number of summit finishes, but he's not the worst climber in the world. No, I mean he's a fantastic climber in his day. The questions I've got are are more about his durability than than his ability. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he'll be able to perform given the the really fatiguing nature of this parkour. But he's certainly going to take lumps out of Nairo Quintana in the time trial, both the, the team time trial, where I it, I find it very hard to see past Jumbo Visma for winning the team time trial tomorrow, um, and in the individual time trial. Nairo's going to have to take that time back in the mountains, and I think Roglic will have him covered. Mm. Well, to Roglic then, from the end of February until May, when, when he competed at the, the Giro, Roglic won the overall classification of every race that they entered and was, I think, both our out-and-out favourites for, for the win in Italy. But it didn't really go to plan despite winning, uh, I beg your pardon, despite wearing the Maglia Rosa for five days after taking the opening time trial. Um, 
This will only be his fifth Grand Tour. Now, he had a fourth place at the 2018 Tour and, of course, a third place at the, the Giro in, in Verona this year. My question, is, as, as I mentioned, is can he hold out on all of those crazy Spanish summit finishes? It's a good question. My, my inkling is yes, uh, but it's certainly a valid question. For me, it depends how he's recovered from the Giro. Now, in his favour... He's barely turned a wheel in anger since the Giro. Uh, and if he's just structured his training beautifully to recover and to peak for this race, uh, then he could he could be absolutely magnificent. I think his big problem at the Giro was, as you say, he was so good so early that by the, the time he got to the Giro, it would have been amazing if he'd managed to hold that form for three weeks. If he's tweaked everything so that he's, you know, he's absolutely on it for for September, um, I think we could see him take his first Grand Tour. He's, he's one of my two equal favourites for the race overall. Mm. I mean, in, in fairness to him, it wasn't so much form or, or form running out that did for him at, at the Giro. It was the the crash and uh, uh, sorry I beg your pardon the, the mechanical problem and then borrowing a teammate's bike on stage 15 where he then subsequently crashed that mm-hmm. put him out of contention but but yeah I, I think looking at, at the field you'd, you'd be silly not to be looking at a Primoz Roglic although we don't know what kind of form he's bringing to, to this race he's been very quiet over the summer um, should there be a faltering in Primoz Roglic they do have teammate Stephen Kreuzweg there to, to challenge um, a fourth place at last year's Vuelta and of course his podium finish at this year's Tour means that he definitely has what it takes to win a Grand Tour but as I mentioned earlier the, the Grand Buckle this year was a tough one and, and fatigue will certainly be a factor for him yeah, it's hard to see him not having the level of fatigue that will make it difficult for him to mount an overall challenge. But he's going to be an indispensable domestique for Primoz Roglic. And if Roglic falters, Kreuzweg has got enough class to step up. Um, but it, it was such a hard tour, it's hard to see him being able to perform. Um, you know, the, the Vuelta in recent years, people who've been to the tour have performed very, very well, but it's usually because they had a bit of a tough tour. Mm. You know, mm. it's, it's not been because they've, they've managed to maintain a really high level over both races. Uh, so I think Kreuzweg will be a bit too fatigued, but he'll certainly be indispensable as a, a sideman for Roglic. Now, we won't have a defending champion at this year's race as Simon Yates, or, or was it Adam? Who can tell? Either way, neither Yates twin will be at the Vuelta to defend the title that whichever one it was one of the race last year. In their stead, Esteban Chavez takes up the leadership duties at Mitchelton Scott. And it's been a long, hard road back for the best smile in cycling, but his emotional win on stage 19 of the Giro showed that while maybe not back to exactly the rider that we remember from a couple of seasons ago, he's definitely back on the right track. And whispers from the team are that his numbers are as good as they've ever been. Um, so, you know, he's maybe built upon that flowering we saw again earlier in the season um, one of the most popular riders in the peloton a huge success with fans just because of his you know his charming smile and his uh, effusive manner it'll be great to see him take it to the the others on the road again and there's he's one of the few people who's capable of you know making a gap on the likes of Nairo Quintana or Miguel Angel Lopez or, or Primoz Roglic he will have to be absolutely on song to get on the podium I find it hard to see him in the top step but how good is it to see him racing well again mm. uh, to another very strong team supporting one rider 
Astana bring an absolutely superb looking squad to, to this race, all in, I think, for Miguel Angel Lopez, who... Another rider who's had a quiet summer. He's only raced the Tour of Poland since racing the Giro back in May, where he finished seventh and took the best young riders jersey. Now, that was perhaps a bit of a disappointing result, given his podium placing the year before. And his 40th place at the Tour of Poland says very, very little about how he's feeling ahead of this Vuelta. I think we'll find out very early because they're also taking Jakob Fuglsang who had that frustration after the crash when he was clearly in fantastic form at the Tour de France. Um, I've just said that people who've had Dove Tours often have really, really good uh, Vueltas and I think that might be the case for Fuglsang. But if Miguel Angel Lopez is his own song, then Fuglsang will be there as a domestique because Miguel Angel Lopez, along with Primoz Roglic, which is my other favourite for the overall after three weeks, I think if he is, if he comes ready to race, Astana are very, very strong. We've seen them perform just amazingly well this year. You know, a multitude of wins in the early season, um, and I could easily see them finish it off with another another tour of uh, Spain, of Vuelta, España victory. And Lopez has been building. You know, even though he hasn't won a Grand Tour yet, he's looked more and more like a credible overall contender. But we'll see. You know, by stage five, we'll see if Jakob Fuglsang stays by his side, for example. Um, or if he's able to drop Fuglsang and the others, there's there's all sorts of things that will tell us whether Fuglsang or Miguel Angel Lopez is in the top seat at Astana. Now, we saw flashes of the old Rigoberto Uran at the Tour this year, but momentary glimpses of greatness don't win Grand Tours. That being said, EF Education have had a really good 2019 and... Ran's upward momentum, I guess we could call it, coming back after breaking his collarbone at Paris-Nice could signal the season is set to end on a big high for them. Yeah, I mean, education first, given their budget, have, have far outstripped our, our, uh, our expectations. Uh, they've got themselves, or they've got Iran himself, they've got Carthy, uh, Martinez, uh, the young Higuita, all of those guys are capable of fireworks in the mountains. Iran, I think, is past his best now, let's be honest. Um, still a, a very popular rider, but he's, he's getting a bit long in the tooth. But these young talents that Jonathan Walters has signed up, um, they're impressive guys. Martinez, particularly, I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. um, is is one to watch for for the the future. Um, I can't believe we've gone this far without mentioning a team Enios who seem to have well run out of riders to race with <laughs> Grand Tours going into this race with uh, Tau Gig and Hart looking to to lead the team. I see. I, I I think this is an intentional move on on Dave Brailsford's uh, part. I think Gagan Hart is is there to win the race, and it, it, they're just doing it to make the internet explode. <laughs> well, I've long been a fan of of Gagan Hart. I, I think he's a, a a great rider with a great future ahead of them. I don't know whether this year is the year we see Gagan Hart step up. To, to be a Grand Tour winner. He, he seems to me to be someone who will have a progression ahead of him uh, rather than explode onto the scene like we've seen with, with a few other riders this year. 
The thing that gets me, if you look at Gegenhardt and Sivakov in particular from that team, their, their young talent are really, really strong. I expect a strong, strong performance from Gegenhardt, but you know it is a bit early. Let's be blunt. Um, you look at it and you, they don't feel like they've got the kind of depth that Astana or Jumbo Visma in particular have in this race. Um, and I think they'll be one of the, the second string squads. Um, you know, they'll be up there in the team time trial. They always are, although they don't win the things. Um, the interesting rider for me in this is Woot Pools, mm. who I thought was bloody awful in France. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if he's one of those guys who can turn it around. You know, he's a class act who very seldom gets the opportunity in the big stage races to ride for himself. You know, he's, he's a domestic deluxe, um, but very seldom gets to ride for himself in the big races. If he gets the chance here, it'll be interesting to see how far he can go. Now, to a, a few other riders um, that are perhaps below those lists of, of, of real big name, highlight, marquee favourites ahead of the race, and, and perhaps you could say, or maybe I'm being unfair, Rafael Micah in, in that list. Yeah, Rafael Micah, certainly. Um, I, he's not a big stage race winner. Um, I just can't see it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of guys who are about the same level as him, um, or or maybe even slightly worse. So, you know, there, there'll be a, a big raft of people sitting between positions 5 and positions 10, who are names we know, but you wouldn't expect to win. I would love to see Fabio Aru do well. You know, he's had that, was it iliac surgery he's been through? Mm. Uh, he's won this race in the past and we've seen flashes of the old Fabio Aru, but we haven't seen him come back to, to, to his full, ugly, horrible form on the bike yet. Um, I, would, I would like to see him do well. Um, there's also Wilco Kelderman. Uh, I mean, he, he could do a decent ride, uh, but... I think we've covered most of the folk who are in with a genuine shout of the overall. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm asking you this question full in the knowledge that you've probably dropped several hints as to who you think is going to win this race. But <laughs> but confirm it or, or shock us, uh, depending on, on which way you're going to go. Uh, oh, I'll have to think about that. Primoz Roglic. <laughs> um, I really do. I think Jumbo Visma are a team in the ascendancy generally. You know, I was saying to someone earlier this week, there's a real sense of momentum to teams and it feels to me like Jumbo Visma are a, a team on a mission. You know, they've got Tom de Milan who, if his knee is up to it, I mean, riding with that injury, undiagnosed for so long, let's hope it hasn't done permanent damage. You know, they've had to go in, was it two or three times now to fix the knee? Um, so he'll be joining the team next year. They could have the kind of embarrassment of riches, which has been a curse for Movistar. Um, but they really feel like a team who are committed to each other in a way that I've never got that feeling really from Movie Star. Movie Star's domestiques work beautifully, but too often the leaders look like they're riding with completely different strategies. When we've seen Jumbo Visma really ride hard, they feel like they're all you know they're all in behind one person, and I think they'll be all in behind Primoz Roglic. I think he'll have learned from that Giro where yep the crash and the mechanical and everything were bad, but he looked absolutely done in by the end of that. I think he'll have been preserving his his effort. I think he'll come in ready, and we'll see him when he's first going to it. Um, the only fly in the ointment for me if you're a Jumbo Visma fan, is Miguel Angel Lopez, and he's an unknown. I don't know what he's going to be like, but if he's in song, he could be the one guy who could take it to Roglic. Speaking of unknowns, or relatively speaking, I'm, I'm going to go for a complete shock win 
And I'll, I'll be happy to put my hand up at the end as you point and laugh at me. You mean you do it right now? I don't know. but I do it anyway. You do it anyway, regardless of what the outcome is. Um, I think if you're looking for a shock win, and, and this is where I'm going to go, perhaps akin to Egan Bernal's victory at, at the Tour, which I'll say at this juncture I did predict, I think you should watch out for UAE's Tajaj Pojikar. He's only 20, but they said... Mm-hmm. Bernal was too young at 22, and this year he's won the Tour of California and the Volta Al Argarve. Now, those are not Grand Tours, granted, but I think he might be another one of those Egan Bernal or um, Remco Ivanapols who's just going to absolutely stun us. So I'm going to stick my neck out way, way further than, than I really, really should. And I'm going to pick him and you can slap me sideways uh, in three weeks' time for how ludicrous a suggestion that is. Yeah, and who, fin- who finished second in the Tour of California? Young Hagita from Education First. Mm. You know, we're genuinely, it's, it's a cliche, we've said it so often over the years, but we are at a, a transitional phase in cycling. It's a changing of the guard. You know, Remco Ivanapol, Winning San Sebastian like that. You need to remember that Lance Armstrong finished last in his first San Sebastian. You know, Remco finished first in his. That lad can do anything he wants. You know, the next Merckx is going to be thrown about very soon. Egan Bernal, I mean, let's be honest, a load of folk predicted he was going to win the Tour because he's been so impressive, you know. And and these young guys like Pojakar... It's, it's going to be another one of those golden eras. These, these are names we are going to be talking about for the next decade. Well, I'm not, because I'll have retired at some point before then. But cycling commentators are going to be talking about these guys for the next decade as they fight it out in the roads. Well, thank you for joining us today as we looked ahead to the 2019 Vuelta a España. John and I will, of course, be back after every stage of this year's race to dissect and discuss the day's action. And we hope that you can join us for that in the next edition of the Velocast. <laughs>